0: we are like nothing without our stories right like that is what makes us humans that's what makes history when we forget our stories we have repeated history <laughs> that happens so it's 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 so important and it and it doesn't even necessarily have to uh, you know equal performance it can just be performative in nature mm-hmm. and that can be as much as sharing or having a dialogue or creating you know a frozen picture around something that you've spent a lot of time talking about because you need to get outside of your 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 words and your minds and into your bodies Welcome to episode 13 of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women plus in theater take center stage in lives we love. I am your host and bubble bather extraordinaire, Emily Stamets. Now our conversation today covers a lot of ground and a lot of deep ground. We talk about being a parent and also an artist. We talk about self-care. We talk about a lot of things. So I'm not going to add a lot of what I have to this conversation other than really encouraging you to get to about the last quarter of this podcast where my guest and I speak pretty deeply about self-care and what what constitutes self-care, all of the different ways to think about self-care. I think that's really vital stuff for us as artists and as women and feminine type people and humans in the world to be thinking about. So be sure to keep listening until we get to that section of the podcast, because it's some really, really good stuff. All right. My guest today is Crystal Jelinek-Brown. She's currently the Director of Voice, Theatrical, and Specialized Programming at the Parlando School of Music Arts, or excuse me, the Parlando School of Musical Arts uh, near Boulder, Colorado. She is an actor, teaching artist, and mama. Her preferred pronouns are she and her. Um, She's a Colorado native, but she lived in New York and did some, I mean, you'll hear her whole story in the interview, um, but she's done a lot of performance work of her own. She has her master's in applied theater from CUNY as well as a BFA in theater performance from the University of Colorado. Um, Her experience is pretty awesome and she has many, many good ideas about how theater can be used as a tool, which I think is something that is really valuable for all of us to be thinking about, both in the work that we do in the greater world at large but also in the way that we live our lives. How can we, as theater artists, use what we know about design and performance and humanity to make our individual lives better and maybe the lives of the people that are closest to us? Always worth thinking about. All right, without any further ado, here is my conversation with Crystal Jelinek-Brown. Well, yay. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Leah. Yay. (laughs) Yay. So you do... um, It sounds like applied theater is like, is your jam and it's the thing that is your, I know you have a lot of other things that you do. You perform and you're, you know, you lead the uh, music department at a school of music and like there's lots of other things going on, but Mm -hmm. applied theater really is like the thing for you. Yes. So why don't you, for people who aren't familiar, tell us a little bit about what applied theater is. Sure. Um, So applied theater is this lovely umbrella term um, for a style of using, or a methodology, a pedagogy rather, of using theater in lots of non-traditional ways with lots of non-traditional people. And so things that fall under that umbrella are, um, it's a its a wide spectrum of things. It can include drama therapy, it can include theater for social change, theater for development, um, theater and education. What is theater um, for development? theater That's a great question. Theater for development is... Um, Often, you most often see it in a sort of NGO capacity mm-hmm. in um, developing countries. Got it. So, uh, developing often, like mm-hmm. communities. Okay, communities. Um, uh, my grad program had a special uh, class that was focused on. Um, we people would actually go to Rwanda and mm-hmm. do kind of community engagement and theater for development with um, a school in Rwanda uh, and having lots of um, activities and, and theatrical. Um, things sometimes performances but sometimes it was it was just sharing and dialoguing about sort of like post-genocide Rwanda and and what they've done in terms of reparations Um, so it's very collaborative Mm -hmm. um, but often often being used in developing countries or with developing areas Mm -hmm. it sounds like um used for healing as well yes absolutely okay absolutely um and it's and it's I'm I feel like that I didn't there's even more that falls under course, that umbrella, yeah. but that just gives you a little <laughs> snapshot. It can be a lot of, a lot of different things, but okay. it's largely using theater with non-professionals, not in a traditional proscenium stage setting. Okay, perfect. And it sounds like the... Um, okay, so what's happening in my brain is you're, it's like you're using the structure of theater and the process of theater mm-hmm. for something other than a performance at the end. Yes. Like there might yes. be a performance, but that's not the purpose. Right, it's very process-driven. Awesome. Amazing. Well, so what, um, what kinds of applied theater projects have been your favorite that are in your, um, portfolio? Oh my gosh. Um, well, so my graduate program was very hands-on and there was tons and tons of group work and opportunities to do facilitation. So I feel really, really grateful because that experience, my, my, uh, theater background prior to that was, very commercial. I was a, I was like a commercial theater, musical theater actor, which is great. And I had a really lucky, wonderful, lovely career with all of that. But, um, it was such a different way being in that program to, to learn how to engage with the the art making itself. I feel really lucky that we got to do so much hands-on work in the program itself. Mm -hmm. So one of the big projects that, um, I, that's super memorable. Um, was that I? We did a piece. Um, four of us that were in the program worked as a group, and we created a piece of theater and education, which is literally you're taking a piece of theater into a classroom mm-hmm. to explore some sort of theme. And we created um, a piece for kindergarten and first graders about bees. And one of the um, <sighs> oh, wait, well, hold on, I need to pause. <laughs> Oh, that's and, so adorable. And one of our one of our team members played the didgeridoo. The, the oh, um, oh, it just gets better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. Um, he played the didgeridoo, and so we did some research on how could we incorporate the didgeridoo and make this about bees. And we discovered that there is a certain kind of honeybee that um, makes. Uh, it looks different and the way it collects pollen looks sort of crazy. It does this sort of crazy pollen dance and makes a weird buzzing noise. And so we decided to create this piece about inclusion and difference around this one bee who did everything a little bit differently than the other bees, but he played the didgeridoo as as sort of his pollen dance. And then um, the rest of the bees learned that you know, the way that this little bee did it was just as, just as well and just as great. Um, but he just came to the pollen collecting a little bit differently than everybody else. And then they all started to practice what it was like to do it his way. And it was really great. So we developed it together in the classroom, um, in our own graduate school classroom, and then got to take it to, I, I want to say, like three or four kindergarten and first grade classes around New York City um, in very different areas with very different um, cultural and ethnic backgrounds, um, in terms of the kids that were in the room and it was really, really magical. Um, yeah, it was really magical. And just to see the difference between, uh, kindergarten and first grade. Cause at the time I, I now have two children of my own, but at the time I was pregnant with my first. Mm. And so d- I didn't quite have the first, you know, up close and personal view of, of kindergarten and first grade brains the way I do now. <laughs> yeah. So it was really interesting to see how it was received and, it was super successful, and we loved it. So that was one of my first um, applied theater experiences, mm-hmm. where I was actually taking what I had practiced out into the community, and were the kindergartners actually like like included in this and like yes, being oh yes. in the process. We, we and... put them in role, and that's a lot of what applied theater does. Is it it places the non expert in role? It's the whole idea that there aren't necessarily experts and non experts. That mm-hmm. everyone can be an equal participant in the, in the creation mm-hmm. of a piece or in the very Augusto Boal, right? Yes, totally. Augusto Boal is like one of the <laughs> godfathers of yeah. applied theater, Paulo Freire, like that mm-hmm. sort of, um, lens for sure. Awesome. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. so fun. Why don't you take us through the, the journey of how you got to where you are today, what you're doing today? Where did you start in theater? What drew you to it? Sure. Um, so I started when I was very young, like, like many of us thespians do. Mm-hmm. Um, back, but see, back when I started, it wasn't quite as cool to be a thespian. <laughs> it's cooler now than it was when I was a kid. Um, so you were always sort of a little bit of a quirky weirdo, which, which I was always okay with. Um, but started when I was young, I started doing community theater, um, acting classes that led to community theater in um, the town in Colorado that I grew up in. Um, did it through high school and decided that I, I wanted to major in it um, when I went to college musical theater. Um, so I went to the university of Colorado at Boulder and was a dual BFA acting and musical theater major. So there were sort of two different intensive BFA programs. Um, Cause I felt like I wanted a little bit more of, of a heavy duty acting piece than the musical theater program uh, alone had and um, really, really intensively became you know completely consumed by the theater department in college and really loved my time there. Um, but when I was a junior in, yes, it was between my junior and senior year of college, I had this really unique internship. I was at home for spring break and I was watching 60 Minutes with my parents. And I saw this um, small segment on a company called the National Theater Workshop for the Handicapped. It no longer exists anymore. Um, But it was started by a Jesuit brother who was born um, missing part of one of his arms. And he had been determined to become an actor. But of course, due to his physical limitations, he was never taken very seriously. So he created a semi-professional and professional training institution and company for um, people living with disabilities that were interested in becoming actors and doing theater, And I was so intrigued by this segment that I copied down and this is old school. Like I wrote it down. I wrote it down on paper. (laughs) And I do think I I used, you know, not Google because I don't think I'm not sure Google was a thing yet, but um, whatever the equivalent, the late nineties equivalent of Google was, I, the Yahoo um, search. Yes. Something ask Jeeves like that. Jeeves, yes, or, ask yes. Jeeves <laughs> AIM search. I don't know if that was a thing. <laughs> um, but I, I, I uh, found their website and got their contact information and contacted them and said, I really want to come and work for you and be an intern. And they just happened to have this internship that was a summer training program in their campus on in Maine. It was in a town called Belfast, Maine. Um, where they would take college students and, and post, you know, recent college graduates and they would work alongside the actors and assist with the training program. And at the end of the summer, we did this mixed um, mixed ability showcase that had incorporated acting and music and, and um, everybody performed together on stage. And that experience was really transformative in as much as it. I knew that I was going to do something like that with the rest of my life. I knew that I wanted to go to New York and be an actor myself and have my own performance career, but that ultimately I wanted my career to be more focused on creating different kinds of theater with different kinds of people, not necessarily in a real commercial traditional sense. Um, <clears throat> so finished college. Um, I moved to New York about a year after college and uh, was very lucky. I, I worked... See that I was there just under eight years, and I worked really consistently the entire time I was there in musical theater. Of course, the joke is when you're in New York. Um, I'm sure you've heard this. You don't actually, you're not actually in New York when you're working. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> because you're sort of a you're sort of a wandering a performer. Mm-hmm. And so I um, did a lot of regional. I booked a lot of regional theater through you know auditions in New York. I did a couple of re- small regional tours. I did the first national tour of Urban Cowboy, the musical. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was, that's amazing, <laughs> which was not the greatest show, but it was so fun to do. Um, and then transitioned into, uh, being a cruise ship, a, a principal vocalist mm-hmm. in the cruise industry, um, which then I did for like on and off for the better part of three years mm-hmm. because it's a really great gig yeah, to have. That's good um, work if you can get it. Yes. I worked for Norwegian Cruise Lines. And along with that, um, in one of the times I was off, I was in between gigs. I did, uh, a show I run at, um, it's a Harris casino. I don't I don't think it exists anymore in Atlantic city. It was called the showboat. Um, but they had a carnival parade show thing that would, would travel throughout the casino. And I did that on and off for nine months in between theater gigs. And I was starting to think about grad school. So I kind of transitioned into, uh, cruise casino, entertainment land, and then abruptly decided I was ready to stop living out of a suitcase <laughs> and um, started looking, looking seriously at grad school. Mm-hmm. I started out in a program at CUNY that was a disability studies program, um, but it was more tailored to people who were working in uh, sort of a state and government Kind of a federal sort of institutional level. Um, and the head of that department said, you've been in this program for a year. I think you're actually going to be better served in this other program at CUNY that's an MA in Applied Theater because it's more arts focused. We're sort of more policy focused. They're more arts focused. And that was where I got connected to the CUNY
1: MA in Applied so Theater.
0: That's fantastic that you had someone looking out. For yes, you I, know. I know. There's a lot of schools that won't let people go. I know. I know. She would have absolutely said, just stay with us. And they were lovely I got a graduate certificate in that. So I have a graduate certificate in disability studies. Um, and then transitioned into this other program that, um, was very intense and very hands-on. And I, I always joke that there was my life before I was in the MA in applied theater. And then there was like everything after, um, (laughs) because it was, it completely changed everything about how I view art making, how I view personhood, how I move through the world. Um, It was really amazing. It was a really amazing program. So once I was done with that, um, we were living in New York City. We had a tiny baby and (laughs) decided that New York was getting uh, expensive and difficult. And um, we opted to move. My, My partner and I decided to move back to Colorado and we landed in Boulder, or in and around Boulder, mm-hmm. which is where we currently live, and where we both went to college, um, because our families were a little bit closer, and it was a little bit easier to to support having a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was an interesting transition because I had just finished my graduate program, and the art scene in Den- the Denver-Boulder area is obviously very different than than it is in New York. Um, and it's something that I think it's important to talk about because it's really challenging as a parent and a theater artist to sort of, especially I think as a woman identifying parent and theater artist, to sort of find your place after you're done performing in the same traditional sense that you were when you pre kids. Um, I don't, by any means, think that I've completely figured it out. So so I don't have any magic answer <laughs> okay. for it. And you probably won't ever. I think most no. of us who, um, when we're not simply, and there's nothing wrong with this, but when we choose to not just take, take on the roles that are, already exist, like the, like just fill the, the, the spaces that are already empty for us, that right. someone's kind of defined, like, here's the bounds of what right. this thing is, whether it's a acting part or it's a um, design position or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you move away from that with the predefined boundaries, then you really have to step into leadership in a big way and like create what mm-hmm. what your own boundaries are and create the thing. and that is a lifelong journey. It has to yes. be yes, absolutely. and I think i I spent the first year or so that we were here in Colorado really just trying to do everything because i was coming from this place of, okay, I'm a new mom, so what does that mean? And I'm, a, I'm still consider myself an artist and a performer, but how do I fuse that together with being a new mom? Um, and, and this applied theater community and work that now I've been so immersed in for two years, but I also have now moved far away from. <laughs> so it was this whole transition of figuring out how to be in this new space. And, and obviously also those questions about who you are as a new mom anyway. Um I don't I think that's a thing we don't do well for m- moms at least culturally and societally in this country. We don't allow them the sp- we don't nobody says you're going to feel crazy and sad and like a, like this death of who you used to be and that's okay. I think everyone needs the permission to like mourn that death and grieve over that a little bit. I don't think that we leave a lot of space for that. It's all like, oh, you're this new mom. It's the greatest thing you're ever going to do. And blah, blah, blah. it's so lovely. And it is a really great thing. But it's also, I think, especially as a, when you're an artist and a performer and a creator, it's, it's really challenging to find that new space for how to fuse those two things together. Mm -hmm. Um, and some, and it's going to ebb and flow, right? Uh, Sometimes you're doing a better job of leaving space for artist You, and sometimes parent, you has to take up more space. Um, so I landed kind of in this in-between place, um, where I started out doing, um, creative play and drama and music for babies and toddlers with a nonprofit arts organization in Boulder. And, um, also taught for the Denver Center, um, doing, doing similar, similar, uh, kind of kid based creative, creative play and, and devising of original material and also did a show and decided I, I needed to step away from the grind of doing eight shows a week. Cause I wanted to be there to put my kid to bed more nights than I didn't, you know, um, so I, I landed at the the nonprofit arts company in Boulder, and my role grew there to what it is today. And I'm the director of voice and theatrical um, at, at this nonprofit um, arts organization called Parlando School of Musical Arts. And um, I feel really lucky because I think I've managed to find a place that does do a pretty darn good job of allowing me to be a full flawed you know, beautiful human mom artist person. Um, and I think that's really unique and really hard to find. So I feel really lucky that I, that I have, I have a job that allows me to be flexible. I get to, I'm good at administrative stuff. So I do a lot of curriculum development and managing of faculty and hiring and sort of all that oversight stuff. But I also get to direct multiple things, multiple musicals a year. Um, we do a ton of outreach. So, um, and, and I've continued to get more opportunities to develop outreach and create new outreach programming in the community. Um, one of my favorite projects, like to give you an example, is that we work with an organization um, that provides um, skills, skill building and life, kind of life learning for people living with disabilities of all ages. And so I get to lead a 10-week program with them where over the course of 10 weeks, we meet for two hours once a week and we spend like eight weeks, eight of the 10 weeks devising an original play. Um, and then we put it up for their community. And it's with those actors and the audience is their, the rest of their community. And it's super celebratory and wonderful and lovely. And they have a ton of agency in creating what they want to create. So, so I have a lot of flexibility to develop programming like that, that maybe maybe at the, the very first snapshot, doesn't seem like applied theater, but has a lot of applied theater oh, absolutely underpinning um, mm-hmm. underpinning it. I try to really, community is like my thing. Mm-hmm. So whatever we, we're doing, even if it's a very traditional book musical, I'm very much like we start with a community, we start with the ensemble, we build the community. So I, so I have a lot of freedom to do that. In, In my, my current awesome. job, yeah. Can I ask, just out of curiosity, the sure. leaders of this organization are they mostly men or mostly women? That's so funny that you ask. Um, it's really myself and our executive director, um, whose name is Travis Laberge, and he is he's he's male identifying. And then another uh, the t- the rest of the administrative team is all women. Um, interestingly enough, he was he's a dad, his kids are a little older than mine. Um, and of all the places that I kind of initially dipped my toes in, in Denver, it, um, the one that was led by a man who's a dad was the one that was the most accommodating and the most family friendly, Mm -hmm. even, even more so than some of the other organizations that were perhaps more women led, but, but they weren't necessarily parents. Um, and I think that's a really, it's a, it's, it's just one of those things, I never want to be one of those people who's like, you just don't get it if you're not a parent. But it, it's a really challenging thing to fuse being an, an actor and a performer and being a parent. And I and I do think more often than not, you find actors and performers and theater makers who are not parents. And it's hard. It, it, I, I think you you can easily get really shut out as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, and to, to be truthful, it's partially why I haven't, Yet at this point, pursued a whole lot of performance in the Denver Boulder area because I have not found the performance opportunities themselves in this area to be particularly family friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's some room to change that, but and there's people- some there's some change starting to happen. I think it's okay. happening happening much slower than yeah it probably should, but simple things like um, having uh, like a nanny on the artistic staff of a production or being flexible or having a playroom. Like there's some really simple structural changes that can be made where nothing else about the rehearsal process, nothing about the creative process (laughs) can change. It's just like, except the fact that kids are people too. And yeah, that yeah. If you're working primarily at night, like the kids need a place to be. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And if, and if you can't make a space for them in the theater, then all of your theater artists are going to stay home because that's right. where the kids need to be. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then you're losing out on talent and you're losing. Oh, so much. It just yeah. like impacts so much. Yes, um, yes. and Economic, blah, blah, blah. There's so much, so much. Yeah, exactly. And it would be such a simple fix. We could have like a whole podcast just about I that. know we totally could, we could sit here and talk about that for like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I am not a parent. Um, and so I don't know that I have the intimate uh, understanding of that. But it is. Anything- you sound like you have a pretty good understanding of it. Oh, thanks. So <laughs> I would have guessed friends. you were. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough friends that have kids, and I have uh, enough experience teaching and leading groups of children and sure. you know, mixed ages. And so I. I get it. I also just think that if there's something that holds someone back or that holds not even just one person, but an entire group of people back mm-hmm. from working, mm-hmm. then we should fix that for them. Yeah, so absolutely. Work. <laughs> and yeah, do the thing. That exactly. Do. Exactly. That's and really I simple. think one of the things that made me realize, especially like in the, the moments that we're in, which I'm, I'm super grateful for this mm-hmm. sort of me too moment is I, I definitely had, the brain, the typical brainwashing, you know, 10 or so years ago. And it was like, oh yes, when I decide to become a parent, I have to be done with this. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I could just smack that, that version of me because I'm like angry for her. Right. And uh, if for no other reason, then becoming a mother has changed the way that I, it so informs how I create art now. And it's so this like integral part of who I am and how I approach the world and, and the kind of art I want to create and the kind of conversations I want to have. Mm -hmm. And it's not my entire identity, but like how sad that if all the people that become parents have this rich experience and then they're like, well, I can't, I can't be part of that conversation anymore. Yeah. That's stupid. (laughs) I agree. That's stupid. Worlds be back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a couple of um, organizations I want to give a shout out to that are just like popping into my brain as you've been speaking. There's Family Mhm yes. I saw in Denver fin- yes. it spelled family is A M A L Y yes they're amazing have have you worked with them or what's your experience? I um no I I like talked a little bit briefly at the very end of my college career about interning with them and it it didn't work out but um they do really incredible work mm-hmm. their artistic director or I think he maybe is their former artistic director is another uh University of Colorado alum cool. um and yes they I it's like physically Handicapped Actors, something, something. I don't I remember what it stands acronym. for. But, but they they are a, a professional company of, of actors all with um, living with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And they put together amazing shows. Yeah. I had the fortune to see Fiddler on the Roof a few years ago yeah. up in Denver. Um, and I at that moment, I made a commitment every time I'm in that area to just see uh-huh. what they're doing and make sure uh-huh. I get to see it. Because it was just hands down one of the best professional productions I've ever seen. And yes. then add to that just the depth that was, that was brought to it and like how they cast people. And um, in a way they like kind of took advantage of the disability. Oh, they, t- they, they put, put it front in right and role. center. It they was put home. it front and center. Yeah. And, and like they make it, co- comic yeah. effect and dramatic effect. And I was just like, this is like the coolest. <laughs> it's not this thing where it's like, we're a bunch of actors pretending Right. Like we aren't people living with disabilities. So it's like, no, these are our full selves and we're going to yeah. incorporate it into the art that we make mm-hmm. and celebrate that. Yeah, I think that Fruma's Sarah, if I remember correctly, um, used a wheelchair. Um, the yeah. innkeeper they cast, as, it was a female um, with a speech difficulty. So she spoke really slowly mm-hmm. and all of her comic lines were like so much funnier yeah. because they yeah, had this just like, oh, I don't know. I, it's like impossible to explain, but it was so good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I love their work. Um, and I think another organization that is, does a really nice job, um, incorporating people of all abilities is OSF, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Yes. yes, <laughs> yes, 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 Who do not only, um, color conscious casting, but also, um, ability conscious casting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's one, um, actor in particular, Howie, and of course I'm forgetting his last name. I'll look it up. Um, starts with an S, Howie sees see something, uh, but he is, um, deaf. And so when he plays his parts, he signs, he, they use international sign language. Um, and then the people acting with him sign with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Mm -hmm. there's, there are organizations out there doing really good work with this. And I just wanted to like, Shout them out and make sure that. They and I think you know, for anyone listening that's that's running an organization and and would like to move towards being um, more conscious of of welcoming of all abilities, of all genders, of all colors. You know, something as simple as Boulder, where I live, Boulder County is like very white, very white, overwhelmingly so. It's, uh, but I have tried. So, so I, I say this because uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm not working with the most diverse population. However, within that even when I put out casting notices to the Denver metro area, we have tweaked our casting notice just just every year we're tweaking it more and more and more mm-hmm. to be as inclusive and saying things like, you're going to see a character breakdown when you look up the show. The characters have traditionally been cast on the binary. We will not necessarily be doing that. We welcome mm-hmm. all genders, all abilities, all this. And so it, it can be as simple as tweaking your casting notices with just a little bit of language that acknowledges we typically see this a certain way and that don't assume that that's how this is going to be done. I love that. And you know what that does for me is that would make me, like if I, if I saw a show and I was like, oh, well, there's like some male parts that are really good, but I'm not really right or I'm not interested in any of the female roles. But that would make me click through and be like, wait, which, which characters, mm-hmm. if they're not mm-hmm. casting on the binary, like what what could I do? Like which what would be right for me? And that would yeah. make me more willing to come and audition. Yes which means you're getting more talent, which means all of that again, exactly. (laughs) And even if you, and I work primarily with, with middle and high school kids in our, in our shows, but you know, you're just challenging them to think beyond this sort of very binary, very, Mm -hmm. you know, heteronormative, very whitewashed culture that we're living in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fantastic. I love it. Okay, what? Give us a snap. You already gave us a snapshot of what you do now. Is there anything you want to yes. add to what no. you're doing? Okay, great. No. Well, you did a good, <laughs> like, encapsulation. Um, exactly. You also, also already mentioned a vivid memory that you have of the theater, but was there another one that you can think of that you want to? Oh my gosh, live you know, with us? Um, One of my favorite, just purely thespian actor moments is when I was in college. Um, I was thinking about this earlier today, prepping for this interview. So we did, um, my junior year, we did this production of Pippin. Um, and I was, I played Catherine and Pippin and it's just a really, really, really fun show. If you've never, I actually think Pippin is more fun to be in than it is to watch. (laughs) Um, but it's a great show. Uh, don't get me wrong. And, um, we had this huge fog machine that was really overactive and, we had a our very it was our very final performance. It was the final show of the semester, the spring semester. So for some of the people in the cast, it was their final college production period. And, you know, we were all very, very precious about all of that in college as as a very close-knit group of thespians. It was like, oh my gosh, it's so and so's last show. It's the last <laughs> time we'll be on stage together ever. And um the very at the very end of the show, I don't want to spoil it for people who maybe haven't seen it, but the leading player does just this do spoiler thing. Spoiler alert. And yes. if you, spoiler. I'll put in a timing. I'll tell you how spoiler to best Spoiler alert about <laughs> Pippin the musical. If you want to avoid this spoiler of Pippin, hit that little button on your listening device that has the like forward arrow and the 15, because we talk about this for about 15 seconds. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> at the very end when the leading player who, um, was played by a woman who was my, my best friend. So that was also quite exciting. Um, when the leading player says, you know, lights out, tear down the costumes, we're pulling everything down. In our final production, the smoke alarm went off because the air conditioning had gotten so intense (gasps) in the room that, um, the smoke alarm had, I mean, the, the fog machine had kind of overdone it and it, the way it had, the vapors had gone across the sensors made, it, made the theater think there was a, there was a fire. So we had to evacuate. There were like, like two or three minutes left in the show and we had to evacuate the theater and so we evacuate the theater <laughs> and everybody's outside crying because we're like, Oh my course. God, we're not going to get to finish the show. <laughs> and, um, my husband, my husband was in the show at the time. Um, and he, he was bummed because his entire, uh, family was there. We, he was not my husband oh. then. He was just my boyfriend. But, um, so we all, we're all outside. And then somebody says, well, we should finish it on the stairs of this. This is zone. such a like <laughs> Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney moment. I love it. Yes. The stage manager was like, well, let's just finish it on the stairs of this building. And so we all were like, okay. And so we get all set and we ran and everyone took their places and the stage manager like gave us an action and we finished it in the rain on these stone steps of this history building next to the theater building. And the audience was all standing and everybody was crying and clapping and it was very thespian it sounds Love, amazing. It was I great. wish I had been there. It was super cool. It was a super cool memory. And it's one of those things I'll never forget. Like I remember that more than I remember my own final production mm-hmm. in college. I, I feel like any time that like literally the show goes on when something catastrophic has happened and yes. like, not that like the smoke alarm going off is catastrophic, but it kind of is. It felt um, like it at the time. Yeah. It, of course, in the moment. <laughs> um, th- those, those are just the times when it feels so real. Yes. When it is really magic. And yes. And we were like, oh my gosh, you don't need any of the zhuzh, right? You don't need any of the lights. All you need are like people. That's all it is. It's about the people. It's about the people. You just need a place to stand and then some people. It's so important. And then you cry and then you like have a a brain moment and then you still go audition for Oklahoma. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's how it goes. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. That's a fantastic memory. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Okay. So what's the most important lesson, like life lesson that you've learned in the theater? Oh my gosh. Um, that your community is everything. Um, and to, to surround yourself with the people that want to, to better that community and, and therefore like by default, better the world. Like it's really easy to be like, let's make the world better, but, um, it start, you have to start small and I think, um, especially this moment with the world that we're in feels really easy to get overwhelmed by the, the big things. Cause there are a lot of really big, scary things happening. Um, but I think there's still a lot of really innate beauty happening at, at local and communal levels. That's very person to person. Um, and I think that theater and art really is, but, but theater in particular is about celebrating the collective human experience. And so however you can use theater or theatrical techniques or methodologies to celebrate the unique human experience with other people mm-hmm. is success. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to look like there's no right or wrong way to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh. And I love sort of the idea of, I mean, this whole conversation with you and like applied theater and everything Mm -hmm. is making me think about how I use theatricality in, like my husband and I really like to entertain. So we have big family parties and we like, we grill out a lot and, you know, just have groups of people and how we use our theater experience Mm -hmm. to make that a richer experience for people. Yeah, It's not just food. It's like, the welcoming and the environment and the lighting and everything. That yeah, you and you're creating community. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> <Yes. laughs> it's all just so important. It's so good. It's so <laughs> it good. So much. Um, what are a couple of uh, skills or habits of mind that have been most helpful to you in your theatrical work? Oh my gosh! Um, easily, without a doubt. Um, the the two things I kind of always lead with, and I don't know that I did prior to my work in apply, in applied theater, is to um, how how does this best how do you how can you always best serve the group? What do, what sets the group up for this, their success? So it's it's taking the focus off of you as the facilitator or the director or the teacher or whatever, and really focusing on what serves the group the best. How can we best set them up for success? And then the second thing is being present with where people are at being present with what's in the room, because you can have really fantastic ideas and you can have like this great rehearsal planned or this great class plan or this great facilitation session planned. But if you enter a room and, you know, you've got to have some, you've got to be empathetic and you've got to be able to sort of read the room. And if you need to start with where the group's at and not necessarily where you're at, Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll retract that and say, you need to start with where the group is at and with where the room is at, because if you don't, it's going to kill the energy. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a negative thing, but you just got to be present for what's in the room. So how do you do that? What is, What is what? like, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, what do you actually do when sure. you walk into your room to um, that you're staying present? You know, I think it depends on the group and it depends on the project. Um, I can give you a couple different examples. I directed a, uh, dev- a devised piece with high school students last year. And um, we, st- we were starting with some source material. They were, We were working on a showcase that featured contemporary music from contemporary musicals. But we were devising um, kind of a through line and a narrative to, to connect all these sort of different pieces of music together. And, um, there was a rehearsal that I came in and it was about mid middle point of the fall semester. And they were all just like really stressed. And I think young people today are under an incredible amount of stress from all, all different sources. And I I was raring to go and we had all kinds of things we were going to get done, but I could just tell they were all like, not in the best energy, the best frame of mind. And I said, okay, everybody, I'm going to, I'm going to get some music and we're going to turn off the lights and we're going to do a little bit of guided meditation. Mm -hmm. And we did. And throughout the meditation, people just started crying. And so I just like held space for that and and they cried. And then when we were done, I went and got coloring material and printed out some mandalas and they, they colored for the rest of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And it was not planned at all. And it was, I was sort of flying by the seat of my pants, but, um, I think as a facilitator or as a director or leader, teacher person, that's one of the best tools you can have is sort of a flexible toolbox of things that you can do should situations like that come up. Um, and we just, we didn't rehearse at all. We didn't even talk about the show. We meditated and colored and if they wanted to talk to me i said i was happy to have a conversation and most of them chose not to and then they all left and said it was like one of the best rehearsals of their life so I'm sure yeah <laughs> so that was one um but i think you know it it can also be applied to adults or applied to to younger students uh, you know i have to facilitate and manage a lot of adult faculty as well and sometimes it's just a matter of saying like leaving time for check-in saying how is how is everybody actually this moment and not in a really high exposure way that makes people feel like they have to spill their guts um but i i think we're so used to how you doing oh i'm fine like we just sort of we just sort of glide through that stuff whether we are okay or not mm-hmm. and i think um especially in any kind of creative work you've got to be real with where people are at, yeah, one of the best tools that I learned um I learned with Shakespeare and Company in Massachusetts mm-hmm. um and it is like literally think it's called check-in and every mm-hmm. single day, so I did it at a Shakespeare intensive it was like four weeks, and every day at the beginning we met at like eight a m or something completely mm-hmm. ridiculous um and the first thing we did was we had to name our our emotion, and sometimes you know you would have a couple of course because we're not just like one note emotional people, but yeah. the most, like the value of that, of, of, not just saying I'm fine, I'm good. Um, I'm bad, but actually saying like the emotion I'm feeling is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and finding like the actual word for the actual emotion, naming it, naming, but, naming it like naming that. There's so much power yeah. in naming and you don't have it. To explain. Like we didn't know that was actually part of the rules was don't explain why you don't have to give us the situation, but just name the emotion so that then you're here in the space. You're not waiting for someone to ask you how you are. Like you just, you get it out and then you can move forward. And, it's, and then of course, when you're working with young people or you're working with emerging artists, mm-hmm. then you're giving them the tool of a, a larger emotional vocabulary. Mm-hmm. One of the, I just heard of, about a way, um, it was an, another f- applied theater artist of mine, a friend of mine who works with Little Littles. And I think I'm going to try incorporating it this summer in some of our summer camps is, um, and I'm talking like kindergarten to third grader kind of age. <laughs> starting the day with a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a, a middle thumb. Mm-hmm. And again, not asking them to explain it, just saying, t- just checking in with each person individually, you know, uh, personally with a little bit of eye contact saying, how are you doing today? Give me, you know, let me know where you're at, thumbs up, middle, or thumbs down. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really simple way. You could do that with adults, frankly. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and the nice thing about that too is that everyone gets a chance to be seen. But when, mm-hmm. like I, when I was teaching, um, I had, my beginning drama classes had 50 students in them. Ooh, and <laughs> it was important to me that I saw every human in the room every day. Mm-hmm. Um, not just like, is everyone here, but like see them and something like that, where it's, uh, it's simultaneous, it's silent. It's not like, take, right. you know, quote unquote, taking time away from instruction right. or whatever. Um, but then everyone has a chance to be like, okay, Ms. Colson saw my thumb. Right. I was right. Ms. Colson when I was teaching sure. him. Sure. Damn, it's now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like she saw, she saw. That I had a thumbs down. Yes, okay. and that's, that's the kind so of technique common. where you could do it as a, like a room and put everyone in front of you and do, and have them do it, or you could give them a little project or a warm up or something to start, and then go and check sure, in individually one. with each one. Yes, that's so great, and especially with um, with the little littles, because if you ask a little little how they're doing, and then especially if you ask them why or what happened, you're in for like a half hour of. And and oftentimes, story. <laughs> sure. And sometimes they don't even have the vocabulary yeah. to say. I mean, I'm I'm finding that with my own kids, right? My my daughter will often, right now, she's in this phase where when she is upset about something, it's like ninety percent of the time, it's not actually about what she's saying. It's about, of course, it's about something else. That's you know, we have to peel back the layers of the onion. To get to the root of it, (laughs) I'm nodding really big because I am a life coach and that's the story of my life. Yes. Oh, this is how you're feeling. You think it's about this. Let's peel it back and figure out (laughs) what actually is happening. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's so much. Um, Awesome. Those are really good skills. You know what? I'm waiting for the day someone says the number one skill that has served me in theater is like tap dancing. (laughs) <laughs> or like a backflip or something. <laughs> it's probably something never it going to happen. I know, something that's not so, <laughs> like it could be applied to everyone. Right. <laughs> okay, this is my favorite question. That's not true. They're all my favorite questions. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> what is one thing that you do in your artistic work that if I did it in my life, it would make my life better? Oh my gosh. Um, I think it's, I think it's that, Uh, what I mentioned before, being present with with where you're at. Because I think it's really easy as a facilitator or a a leader of sorts to do that for a group. And I think it's really hard to give ourselves permission. I think especially even as women identifying people in this world, um, we are socialized from the time we are born to put everyone else's needs ahead of ours. Mm -hmm. And we spend our lives doing that so that when we become partners and mothers and and aunts and things like that it's very easy to sabotage your own well-being and mental health because you're busy worrying about everybody else um so i think taking that idea of like where am i at this moment mm-hmm. do i need to to take 5 seconds and breathe do i need to put my legs up the wall do i need to put food in my body do i need to what do i need to do today that's going to serve me Mm-hmm. And I don't mean in a like binge eat ice cream way, right? <laughs> although there's a time and place for that, um, <laughs> but but I mean in a way that that really loves that is like just about self love. Mm-hmm. I mean, giving your it's so hard for us to give ourselves permission for self love and self care. Mm-hmm. Can I can I offer a um, an addendum to that too? Yes, because it's step one is asking the question mm-hmm. and being present and realizing what you need. And then step two is giving yourself permission to do it. And that is whether it is that self-care or whether it is, you know, coloring in rehearsal when Mm -hmm. that's what the teenagers Mm -hmm. need. Um, Or saying no. Or saying saying no. no, Oh my gosh. gosh. I wish we all said no a (laughs) lot more than we do. Um, But yeah, just because there's so many times that I've walked into like leading something, leading a rehearsal, leading a workshop, whatever it is. And I walk away going, like, it didn't land right, and I knew in the moment, and I should have done this instead, and I, like, that was happening in my brain, but I didn't give myself permission to change, Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. the times when I do, when I'm like, clearly what we need today is something completely different than what's on Mm -hmm. my paper, so Mm -hmm. we're going to do something completely different, and I never regret those moments when I change the course, you know? Yes. Yes. And it and it can look, I think doing it with just like in a way that's completely free of judgment, because it can look really different from a day to day or even an hour to hour basis. You know, it can, sometimes self-care can be, I am literally going to put all of my energy into my kids right now and read books to them and smell their heads. And mm-hmm. I'm going to put work aside and that's going to be that. Or sometimes it looks like I need to get out of my house and not speak to anybody for an hour and walk my dog. Because i'm going to kill everything that mm-hmm. crosses my path, you know it doesn't have to be yoga or a pedicure or I mean all of those things are great, um, but it doesn't have to be like this sort of commodified capitalist like wellness moment. it can be, but it could it can be really simple as allowing yourself like you said to to change course mm-hmm. in the moment okay okay so i'm I'm feeling like a formula happening here, okay, so step one is. Uh is check in and ask yourself how you're feeling and name the emotion. Mm-hmm. Step two is if this is how I'm feeling, therefore what do I need? Mm-hmm. And then step yes, three yes. is do that. Yes. I love ha! it. We That's should so great. We, you should write a book. We'll write a book. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out next year, everyone. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so simple, but how many days have we gone? Oh, so all good. of us and all of our lives without doing those three things? Yes. It's so hard. Yeah. But it's partly because we're conditioned not to. Yeah. I mean, I think it's changing. I hope it's changing, but, but we've been conditioned not to. Yeah. I also think, I mean, this is kind of a tangent also, but, um, the, like the word self-care, like the term has taken on some weird interpretations. Like you were saying, there's a place and a time for binging ice cream, but the way I think of it is for me, like taking a bath in the middle of the day is usually not actually self-care. It's usually avoiding the thing I'm, I really need to do in order to feel better about my life. You know, it's like avoiding the hard thing. Um, and the same way for me with food, the same way for like all of the things that I'm like, yes. oh, this is self-care, but actually it's making me feel more stressed. I'm just pretending. Yes. That I'm enjoying And I it. think that we have to, I think we have to culturally recognize that the way that and I think this is what you're saying that the way that self-care has been co-opted, it, it typically applies to like wealthy white women oh, or wealthy, sure. wealthy white people. Yes. And, um, that methodologies of self-care, we need, we need to be sure that we're creating and holding space for me- methodologies of self-care that look completely different mm-hmm. for people of color or LGBTQIA people, you know, LGBTQ plus, um, because, and, and, and actively as allies, Finding out what we can do to help promote the, their self care and hold space for the, their self care, um, because I think it, it has been co opted in this way that feels really icky, and another way to be exclusive and you know racist and and classist and all of those things. So yeah, it's it's. Um, but that's not to say everyone's feelings aren't valid. Like, like what everyone is going through is, is their own journey and their own challenges and their own stress. And everyone's, you know, that what's that quote about be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle than you. Um, and I, I do think there, there is room for all of us to, to, (laughs) you know, take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. No, 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 of course. And then my brain did this whole thing of like, oh my gosh, maybe I should like do an intense research study on what is self-care when you're not just like a a wealthy white woman. Exactly. So important. And I mean, again, also you mentioned it earlier, but I think it's worth saying again that a lot of what has been coined self-care is uh, consumerism. Yes. Like buy a bath bomb, buy a massage. I mean, I love Instagrammable. Yes. Yeah it's pretty, it looks, it looks good. Um, It is like spending money on yourself, which like there's a time and a place to spend money on yourself. Absolutely. But that's not the only way. Right. Right. (sighs) (sighs) Again, that's like its own like four hour conversation. I know. I know. know. We're touching on so many things. It's so good though. It's so good. (laughs) Start the conversations. Okay. Okay. Are we really already there? We are. We're already on the question. Should theater be required life curriculum? Yes. Why? Yes. (laughs) Because it teaches you how to relate to other human beings. And it celebrates the, like I said, it celebrates the unique experience of being a human and telling stories. We are like nothing without our stories, right? Like that is what makes us humans. That's what makes history when we forget our stories, we have repeated history (laughs) that happens. So it's, it's, it's so important and it, and it doesn't even necessarily have to, uh, you know, equal performance. It can just be performative in nature Mm -hmm. and that can be as much as sharing or having a dialogue or creating, you know, a frozen picture around something that you've spent a lot of time talking about because you need to get outside of your, your, your words and your minds and into your bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such a different way of approaching so many different kinds of things that are applicable to life. Yeah. Yes. Fully agree. That's a hearty yes for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, Plant one seed. In the hearts, minds, or spirits—or all three—of the people who are listening today. Oh my gosh, that's so so big. Um, it doesn't have to be big. Seeds are little. That's the point of them. Yes. Okay. I, I would say it kind of goes back to our our little our some of our little formula. It would be um, start with start with who's in the room. Recognize who's in the room. Recognize what you bring to the room, and. Be present with with where that's all at and magical things can happen. <laughs> Love it. <Yay. laughs> it's a really good seed. Um, I wanna ask one more thing that is not actually on my like list of standard questions. Um Great. I just wanna I just wanna say these words because you you wrote them down, so I'm quoting from you. Oh. Um, and I think they're worth saying. Uh, I was asking, like, how do you think that theatrical skills relate to real life? Um, And one of the things you wrote down is, it is magic, it being theater. So brackets, theater, Mm -hmm. is magic and fire and heartbreak and celebration all in one. Those are four really beautiful words. I don't know if you want to speak Mm -hmm. to that or if we just want to let that hang and be what it is. It just, yeah, it is what it it is. It is the full expression of what it is to be a human. And it includes all of those things. Yeah. I love the fire part of it too. It's nice. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. If listen, we're, we're at the end of, this is the last question. I know. I know. <laughs> we will have to meet again. Yeah. We could talk forever. Um, okay. So Crystal, if listeners want to contact you, hire you, work with you, see something that you've done, take a class with you, how can they sure. find you? They can email me.
1: That's
0: um, easy. That's the that's the best way. I mean, I I do have um, social media, but I, I'm mostly just a mom. I won't say just a mom. I'm mostly am in mom mode on social media. Um, but they can they can email me or um, go to my my uh, the company that I work for. The website is um, it's called Parlando, which is the Italian word for uh, to speak in a musical way. Parlando. Parlando. Oh. Um, I didn't come word. I, I know I can't take credit for it. Um, but it is, uh, dot oorg And, um, my, my bio and, and info is listed there under voice and acting faculty, or they can, they can email me. Awesome. Yeah. And you have my email, right?
1: I do have I email. to say
0: it? Should I say it? Um, uh, I will put it in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. Cause that's Perfect. the thing you can do on podcasts show that's, notes. Oh yes, This fun. I know. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you. Does, does Bodhi want to pop in and say hi to everybody? Bodhi, and... so Bodhi, do you want to come here? So good. Do you want to come here Come here for a second? Come here for a second. He's been so quiet. <laughs> I don't know I what know. he's focusing on over there. Hopefully it's something. He really has. Awesome. He really has. You hi say, Bodhi. You say hello. Hi. Thank you for being so quiet while your mom was talking to me. You're welcome. <laughs> what What were you playing with over there? The maze book. Oh, a maze book. <gasps> oh, a maze book. You were. Can you tell Emily how old you are? Four and a half. Ooh, oh, that's a good age. Are you ready to be five? Yeah. And a half. You're and a half. Yeah, you're ready to be five and a half. Okay. I'm ready to halves are important. They're super important. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. So Thanks Bodie. <laughs> Thank you so much, Crystal. This was yeah. wonderful. And oh. seriously, like next time I'm in Colorado, I'm going to hit you up. Cause I yes, want to do... wine. you have my info. Yes. Please, we'll grab a coffee. I'll show you some of my favorite places. Yes, please. Thank you so much for your time, Crystal. I appreciate it. It was really lovely having this conversation and getting to know you a little bit. And um, I'm sure there's more down the road for us. We're going to write that book. Yes. That is all for today. Thank you for listening so, so much. If you want to chat about what you've heard, learn about upcoming episodes before they drop, or simply say hello, you follow Find Your Light Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast, or on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast. Remember, you can email the Find Your Light team, which is me and my cat, who is currently an un- undercover kitty because we had some family over earlier today, and she's hiding under a blanket because that's really effective. Anyway, you can email both of us with feedback, suggestions, love notes, or cat treats at podcast at Emily stamets.com. And you can find me, Emily Stamets, at the Emily TheEmilyStamets on your favorite social media platforms. Until next time, sand, stand... <laughs> Until next time, work on your enunciation, stand confidently center stage, and enjoy your show.